Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael and Jackie Russo. Michael, I can't emphasize for you enough how much fun you are about to have in this podcast with a mind reader. <laughs> to say something. I mean, I would have <laughs> thought it was, but no, let's let the awkward silence linger. No, he was he was really cool. And not what I thought. I was a little, when I was reading his bio, I was like, okay, what have we got ourselves into here? And I was like, how do I tie all this together? But he did a great job of that on his own. I mean, as he was going through this, I was like, he must have read our book. I mean, he right. he's he's saying everything that we're, that we're doing it, but he's taking his own way from a really um, psychological way of approaching people's thought process. Right. Well, it's it's the the things we all know about how we should communicate with people and relate to people. Uh, but we talk about it from a very business process oriented place. And he talks about it from the perspective of somebody who can read minds. And yet we're both saying the same thing. Absolutely. And I think that's part of, you know, uh, there's an element to that. He talks about process a lot and we have a process. But at the end of the day, I can give that same process to somebody who doesn't have the ability to really to process information, right? And to right. dig in and to make those decisions. Sometimes it, it it's a gut reaction. It's it's how you feel about that. But to do that without the right information and the right research and and what do you say? Um, knowing half the story you've already lost. You know, right. I'm not sure what philosopher said that, but um, there's a truth to that. You know, you have to know the other side. You have to know what they're thinking, and you have to know what their perceptions are in order to make really informed decisions. Well, process is a tool. Um, and so I give scuba gear to a dog, but just because he has the tool doesn't mean he can go be a diver. You know, you, you're right. You have to have both sides of it. I don't know. I've seen dogs scuba dive. Have you really? Yeah, I've been watching TikTok I'm, a lot lately. I was going to say, I'm going to need you to send me a TikTok video to prove that because <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna call BS on that one. Um, but regardless, Jonathan Pritchard is our guest today. And I think y'all are going to love what he's got to say. So let's give it a listen. Michael, I'm so excited today to have Jonathan Pritchard with us. I mentioned it earlier, but I'm going to say again, he has so many different topics we're going to talk about and things we're going to go down. I'm going to give you a quick little bio because I really want to set you up properly for the level of guest Madison has managed to book for us today. So Jonathan's the founder of Zavant Enterprises, the author of multiple books focused on the power of applied psychology. But here's where it gets good. For 15 plus years, he toured the world as a mentalist. I mean, we have had a lot of great guests. We have not had a mentalist, it's which is type. I mean, it's a first, right? He's an entertainer specializing in reading minds predicting the future, instant hypnosis, and other impossible skills, which I think perfectly aligns with what we try to do in branding and marketing and convincing people to do what we want them to do. We try to bend them to our will, and he actually does it. Eventually, he realized his talents could do more than entertain people, and that's when he began consulting for the world's largest companies. Currently, he is brought in to share his secrets with sales teams, delivery teams, and anyone else who needs to deliver results in high-stake environments. While not on the road, you can find him at home in the mountains of North Carolina with his family. Welcome to He Said, She Said, Razor Branding, Jonathan Pritchard. Well, thank you very much. I am super stoked to be here. We are super stoked to have you. So tell me, how does one begin their career as a mentalist? Strangely. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> it. You have to be a, a little weird. That's for sure. 
And I really got my start back when I was five, six years old. I'm 40 now at the time of this recording. So this is something that I've been doing for a little while now. And I got started doing magic tricks and every beginner's magic book has a mind reading section. And I tried everything under the sun. And those always were the ones that were most interesting to me because they freaked people out the most. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's interesting. Let's let's stick with this. And that has been the sole focus of my entire life now. I have to assume that someone who has spent the time that you have spent developing these powers was probably the most popular guy with the girls in high school. I mean, that's got to be real bait for the date. No, nope. Shocking. nope. <laughs> complete, complete opposite. You you think as a as a teenage girl you would want to date the guy who could read your mind? Right. Nope. It was it was like a hyena going after gazelles. They they would run <laughs> away very swiftly. Would not want to be anywhere near me. That was I, that was a big I part totally, of it. I totally feel you, Jonathan. I, I thought being in a barbershop quartet would have been really cool, and the girls would have loved it. But it didn't work out that way. Nope. <laughs> nope. So, Jonathan, I almost in some ways picture the dad in Modern Family right now who goes to the magic shop and likes to do Is that more in line with your vibe? I hope not. <laughs> uh, but that's my intent is to be as far from that as possible. Okay. But, you know, I I do have a nine month old daughter, so I can feel that coming on strong now. OK, so minutes ago, you said. 40, and then you said nine months. I'm making sure that I've understood both of those numbers correctly. Yep. And now I'm praying for you for sleep and peace. Oh, yeah. Life on wow. the road has prepped me pretty well because Good. sometimes you do a late night college show and then you've got to drive the five hours back to civilization for the 6 a.m. flight out in the morning. And then that flight is the only time you get to sleep before you land, get into the next rental car, and then go drive to do the afternoon sales training workshop for a company. And you've got to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and you can't walk in going, boy, I'm really tired. Could we just not do this today? <laughs> Can I nap first? So exactly. that has properly prepared you for newborn life. I mean, that makes that's that's the exact training that you need. I had no idea um, that life on the road would be such a perfect accompaniment uh, to being the parent of a newborn. Yeah, me uh, either. I thought I was running away from family life mm -hmm. as much as I could. And here I am perfectly position for it. Yeah, totally prepared. <laughs> Congratulations on the new arrival. Uh, we you. have four, uh, but they are now currently all in college. So we have sleepless nights for a different set of reasons. I can only imagine. Yes. <laughs> Here yes. it comes down the pike. Sooner than you would imagine. Uh, it, it is about a blink of an eye that you get there. They say that and I didn't necessarily completely believe it, but it's it's really true. So walk us through how you've been able to transition um, your talents as a mentalist and to writing books and doing these sales trainings and all the other work that you've done. I mean, how does one get from here to there? The, the long story medium mm -hmm. is I went to college, graduated. My first job out of college was working at a magic shop at Universal Studios in the park. So that's where I did about 19,000 shows in oh, just over two and a half years. Wow. 
Some days it was 25 shows. Some days it was 20, six days a week, 50 weeks out of the year, two and a half years. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. And it was fantastic stage time. And then I went on tour with a full-time performer as his manager, like the tour manager. And part of the deal was I'm not going to get paid a lot, but I get to ask him every single question under the sun about making a living as a performer. So that's how I got my start as a college performer. And I have to make it clear that I don't have a gift. I'm not psychic. It's not like my grandma had the gift and then passed it on to me when I got struck by lightning. It's all applied psychology, showmanship, communication skills, and moxie. Those are the ingredients that go into the show. And it's... It's understanding how people interact with life, really. And I was doing the comedy mind reading show at colleges, and I love meeting people after the show. To me, meeting folks from the audience is my favorite thing about what I do because I travel by myself, I'm driving by myself, I'm just alone a lot of the time. And then... I can't do what I do by myself. I could tell you what I'm thinking, but that is in no way impressive, right? That, that's just called a monologue. So if I tell you what you're thinking, that's impressive. So the only reason I have a career is an audience. So I'm never going to be one of those performers who says, you'll meet me in the green room. I, I'm I'm done. I'm, I'm gone. So I'm going to hang out until the last person leaves to show my appreciation for them spending their attention on my show. So I'm hanging out, chatting with college kids. And most of the time I hear some flavor of, I can't even imagine doing what you do. And, and I've, I've kind of thought of it. It's two ways that they mean that first one is how in the world can you read minds? Is there a trick to it? Like, do you have the gift? So I have to tell them, There's no trick to it. It's just like playing Rachmaninoff on piano. All you have to do is hit the right keys in the right order. It's that simple, not easy. So there's that first part. And then the second part is, listen, I've I've grown up with this unspoken belief that I need to get good grades in high school to get into a good college, to graduate with a degree, to get a good job, then retire after 40 years with a gold watch. And here you are. You're getting paid to have fun on stage. Like you're just this alien creature that we've never seen before. And you're living a life that we couldn't ever possibly imagine. How do you do what you do? So I would talk to people after shows about here's how I make my decisions. Here's how I think about opportunities. Here's how I make things happen. And then I started getting emails a couple years later saying, hey, I don't know if you remember me. You did a show at my school and you stayed afterwards to talk to me. And I made some big changes after that. And it's made all the difference in the world. So I just had to say thank you for sharing your your thoughts. I was like, oh, okay, this is a lot heavier than I thought it was. (laughs) I was just pulling stuff out of my head, just spouting off. Here's what I think. And then realizing that people actually listen to it, you're like, oh, okay, this is a lot more important than I thought. Right. So that was the first inkling that maybe I should, pun intended, 
kind of share my thoughts in a way that's different from the show. Kind of mm-hmm. take people behind the scenes of here's what I've gone through in my personal life. Here's how I grew up. Here's what I've been reading. Just kind of full transparency. And as I started wanting to improve my own business, get booked more, I want to get paid more. How do I do bigger, better shows? And I start reading business books. Here's the psychology of sales. Here's the psychology of marketing and all that kind of stuff. I began to realize that all the authors are using stories of people that probably never existed who are in situations that they conveniently made up for the narrative of the book. And Mm -hmm. I go, wait a minute. I can communicate these principles of fundamental human psychology in an interactive way that these guys can't ever dream of touching. Oh, okay. I'm going to eat their lunch. So it's one of those things that I didn't understand the value of my experience and perspective from reading the minds of 19,000 audiences of being able to connect with that many people that quickly. I didn't understand its value because it's just a thing I did until I started digging into the business world and people wondering, how do I be a better presenter? How do I present the sales numbers more effectively? How do I pitch this $50,000 design project? How do we do sales? How do you help influence the person in that company to be your champion internally to sell up the ladder so that you can get the gig? That's all stuff I'd been doing for for a decade already. So you think that you think that right there, like I'm curious, just on a little side tangent, that those thousands of hours, those thousands of performances that you did, kind of goes back to the uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I think wrote the book Outliers, mm-hmm. and th- that ten thousand hour whatever time period where you kind of honed your craft and you became an expert at what you did, and that embodied you. I mean, did that was that the training grounds for where you're at today? Kind of, yeah. To that point. I've run the numbers before and I don't remember them. I, I just forget stuff, make room for new stuff. But the idea is that I I never had a normal job since the moment I graduated college. My first paid gig was when I was 13 years old. I got paid 200 bucks to do a magic show for a company's employee appreciation event. Okay, so depending on where you want to start measuring, I've had a 40-hour week every week of my life to do whatever I want, to follow my curiosity and do anything that interests me. I'm 40 years old now, so if you run the numbers, instead of going to work every day, I've been practicing my craft. So I've had something like four or five 10,000 hours worth. So I should be literally world-class at four (laughs) or five things now, if you count that you need all of those 10,000 hours instead of mastering how to master a new skill. And that kind of meta skill helps everything else. So that's why I'm so darn good at a whole bunch of weird stuff that is extraordinarily valuable to companies. The challenge though, from the branding angle is how in the world do you communicate that quickly to a potential client 
when in in our souls we have jack of all trades, master of none. If he does all these things, he's not going to do any of them well because they're seeing that through the lens of I have a family, I have a full-time job, I've got zero time for my own hobby, and this guy's claiming to be world-class at five things. There's no way I could be good at five things, so therefore he's not world-class at five things. So it's been really difficult to communicate. I'm, I'm really good at helping businesses make a lot more money from a variety of domains by leveraging that fundamental understanding of motivational psychology and how people make decisions. And then they go, okay, I still don't get it. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure you're not, you're not training people to, Hey, guess what color I'm thinking, oh. but it's how to read somebody and how to interpret where their vision is, how to find where their really sweet spot is. You know, I mean, in, in our business, I mean, it, there's so many people that come in and say, I don't know what I like. I know when I see it, um, I, I need you to give me the answers, but I kind of know what I want. Right. Throw them right out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. Bye-bye. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's why I, I founded Zavant enterprises. I say it's Zavant like an idiot Zavant, but it's like a genius Zavant because it's Z instead right. of an S. So Johnny Zavant was my college character and stage name for years. So Zavant Enterprises is my corporate friendly framing of that part of my history. And, and now as Zavant Enterprises and the soft skills training of sales, negotiation, presentation skills, and all that kind of fun stuff, I do usually start with an interactive mind reading demonstration and it's a Trojan horse for the lesson that we're there to learn. So I will frame it as, yeah, yeah, everybody wants to see the mind reader do a mind reading thing. We'll just get this out of the way. I'll satisfy your curiosity and then we can get into the good stuff. Then I'll do a, an interactive demonstration of some flavor. And then once everybody's got their mind blown, I say, okay, now for the next to four hours, we're going to talk about exactly how that worked and why it works so that you can take that principle and apply it in your sales conversations, your negotiations, your framing of your value on your website, or anywhere that you are trying to communicate how you can help your audience. I love that. Do you have an example? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I always have a deck of cards next to me. Yeah, I, I'd have to turn in my membership card if I didn't. So who, which of the two of you will play so I know who I'm in? Nope, we froze up a second. Yeah, you froze. We missed you. Oh, I was gonna, I was asking uh, which of the two of you would like to play, so I know who I'm going to try Michael. to influence with this. Michael, he's going to play. Right, Michael, you just got voluntold. Yes. So okay. we will uh, work with you. And what do you normally have for breakfast? Nothing. Um, okay. You're one of those intermittent fasters. I, I like it. <laughs> Not on purpose. He just I wakes up clean. Late. Yeah. I don't have time to sustain myself. And what is your favorite city you like visiting? 
Um, New Orleans. New Orleans. Okay. Kind of going local. I think I've got it. And as you can see, these are all different playing cards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The the one thing everybody thinks is, oh, he has a whole deck of just one card. <laughs> that would make it easier. So now, you know, it is not. Um, so, Michael, as I deal through, all you have to do is say stop and we will stop at the card you stop me at. Not the one that's in my hand, but the next one that we oh, haven't that seen. That one. So, so you 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 want me to stop now? Yeah, but I, I totally forgot what card it was. I no, it's the next this. one. Okay, okay. It's, the, right. it's so the, the next down one. one. Okay. So All you're right. not All you're right. not deciding which one you want. You're just feeling the moment. Yeah. Okay. And I'm I'm here to tell you that you're going to stop on the six of diamonds. That's my favorite card. I put it in the right spot. And you stopped at about the seventh card, which is where everybody stops. And later, you're going to wonder, okay, but what if I had changed my mind? If I'd kept going a couple more cards, it, it would have totally screwed him up, and I'd love to see how he'd wiggle his way out of that. Mm -hmm. So with that understanding of what would happen later, I want you to come back to this moment and decide, do you want to stay where you stopped, where most people do, or do you want to keep going to see how things would change if you changed your mind? Mm, I'm, I'm a stick. You're going to stick. And also going to let you know that 99% of people stick with their first instinct. It's God, Monty I, I Hall problem. So, I hate being I so average. I know. <laughs> Predictable. But it, but it is absolutely true. The Monty Hall problem where it's mathematically in your best interest to change your mind. Even knowing that most people stick with the, the first door. So hmm. final answer. Do you want this one or do you want to keep going? Well, now, if, if you knew me at all, I'm totally second-guessing everything right now. Right. And now people are going to be listening going, this Jonathan is just browbeating him into submission. <laughs> I, this is embarrassing <laughs> to watch. So really, no pressure. Your choice. You want to stay here, right? Yes, I do. Okay. So as you can see here on the camera, if you're listening to this, you can go to YouTube or wherever. You can watch this and see that I'm genuinely taking the the card if you had kept going the next card would have been the two of diamonds next one would be the nine of diamonds so you can see that it would have been any other card yeah mm -hmm. and you stopped me on this card which is exactly the one that i told you you would the six of diamonds my favorite card so there you go ta-da I love so how, that. Does that how does that translate into, okay, so I am now, what do you know about me other than I am what you expected? Okay. Let's go. Let's go down some really weird avenues. That's I love it. First that I always like to tell people is about the curse of knowledge. When you don't know something, it's impressive and worth, worth paying for. Once you know it, you discount it because it's obvious and nobody would buy that. So once you know these things, it won't be impressive anymore, even though you could leverage it for tens of thousands of dollars of sales. So please don't ignore it. <laughs> the, the next thing is that everybody needs some explanation for how it works. And I gave your mind enough 
to hook on to how you know it works so that your mind stops looking for the real method. The questions about where you like to visit, what you have for breakfast, mean absolutely nothing. In real terms of how this works, those questions have zero to do with the method. What it does is it gives your mind something to go, well, this has some meaning. He He's doing it, so he's doing it for some reason. Okay, he has a process. And every successful consultant has to have their process, their proven framework, their system. Otherwise, you're just some guy saying some stuff, and I could disagree with a person. But if it's a system that proves results, who am I to argue with this proven system that delivers results? So you have to have that performative angle to your system so that your clients buy into how weird and silly it might be, but you have to go through those hoops in order for them to feel like they went through an experience that could deliver results. Mm -hmm. Because if I just said, you're going to stop at the six of diamonds, flip, flip, flip. Hey, look at that. You did. It's so sterile. Then people go, well, there was something to that. I, I don't know. That, what was it? And they won't buy into the experience. Love that. No, it's a great way of explaining it. Um, and, and we push that all the time. We have an internal process we have. It's called Razor Branding. That's the name of the podcast. And um, and we did that many years ago because we saw another agency did it. They did it very well. And we like, oh, well, they must have their shit together. So let's go do that for ourselves. And really, it's just packaging the knowledge we already have and showing people that it does work and this is how it works. So they're seeing behind the, the curtain, right? Exactly. If you're a tarot card reader, if you read crystals, if you read chicken guts, doesn't matter. You've got a system. You're not just making it up because your clients want guarantees of results. And do you have any case studies? Can I talk to any former clients to, to see if you're just trying to lie to me uh, not that you try to lie to me i just i want to make sure you're not lying to me right <laughs> so having that system the razor branding system trademark tells people that oh they're good enough that they figured this out and they wouldn't have a system if they didn't get results so i now have more confidence that they're the people who can get me the results i want Instead of this other guy who's saying, I figure it out, trust me, give me all your dollars and then we'll do something together. I don't know what that is yet, but I'm clever. I can figure it out. That guy right. could be better, but the understanding from the potential client is that it's a riskier bet because it's not a system. I don't, I just, I don't know. I love that. Do you ever... On. Do you ever find the temptation um, to use your powers for evil? I mean, oh, it's, it's got to be hard. You know, <laughs> when you know how to manipulate people, how do you, you know, make sure you only harness your power for good? A lot of it is being ruthlessly honest in my personal life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that makes me difficult to be around. So <laughs> but my my wife is a, is a, a unique, unique saint. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I, I do like to dig into that word manipulation because mm-hmm. that's usually the one bucket everybody has to throw in everything to do with communicating with other people. So real quick, I've kind of envisioned a quadrant system like a X and Y axis. And on the mm-hmm. horizontal axis, it is on one side. I want to, I want to benefit myself at your expense. And then the other side is to the best of my ability. I want everybody involved to win. I want to win, which helps my family win. I want you to win, which helps your family, your business, all of your employees, all of their families to win. So this is a a win in three different dimensions and a fractal echo through the universe kind of thing. Okay. The vertical axis is what am I trying to change? And on one end is your behavior. And on the other end would be your beliefs. And yes, Mm -hmm. I know that those are more of a continuum, but for illustration purposes, it's easier to think of them as polar opposites. So if I'm trying to benefit myself at your expense by changing your behavior, that's coercion. And a great way to do that is to pull a knife on you or a gun and say, you're going to give me your wallet. Right. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you're thinking about me. All I care is that you behave in alignment with my wishes, which is to give me your wallet. If not, then negative consequences. Isn't that fun? If I'm trying to change your beliefs to my benefit and your detriment, that's usually by withholding information managing a narrative, fabricating information or evidence. And that is what manipulation is. With withholding facts and figures for you to come to the wrong conclusion, which is you can trust me. Right. On the other end, for the win-win in all dimensions, in all versions of the universe, if I'm trying to change your behavior, that's influence. I don't need you to believe that this is the best restaurant on the planet. I just need you to go there because I know there's stuff there that I like. There's stuff there that you like. And it's the perfect ambiance for us to celebrate or to have a business meeting, whatever. After the experience, you will believe, oh, that was a great time. But before that, I just need you to change your behavior from we're going to Taco Bell to this nice place. (laughs) Then to change your beliefs that's what that's what persuasion is and that is usually the most effective long-term solution to help you help others and help others help others mm-hmm. so persuasion is helping you reframe your value system your perception your interpretation of past events to be more empowering to opening up new possibilities and and options in the current moment. Jonathan, you it's amazing. Um, I you see Jack and I both leaning in. It's because you are like, <laughs> like we talk, we don't use your language or what you're saying, but we believe in what you're saying. Like it's part of our our thing, you know? And um, we talk a lot about that. Um, like the consumer owns the brand, for example. You know, you can go tell them what you want them to hear. And but at the end of the day, they're gonna decide. They're gonna be the judge of who you are. You can, I'm this. Well, that doesn't matter, right? Being authentic, being truthful, being honest, you know, what perceptions are, you can't change them. You can hopefully influence them, 
but you can't dictate and mandate them, right? And so I just, I love what you're saying because it, it, it's like giving, you know, not credence as much as, oh my God, that's what we're doing. And it makes so much more sense now, really to me. And I wrote half this stuff, you know? <laughs> right. And and that's the the real miracle of this stuff to me is that it transcends culture. It's context independent because it is dealing with the fundamental ways that we make our decisions as human beings. And every domain that's successful at this stuff will figure it out some way in their own terms, but it looks the same because it is the same because human beings are all running the same operating system. The operating system is the same. The software they're running can change. And to me, that's the cultural layer, the cultural context of in the moment frame of how do I interpret your actions? But the fundamental, here's the hardware we've got to run with. We got some eyes, we got some, some feel, we got taste going on. Okay. That's pretty limited, but we do an all right job with it. And then the predictive models we have of sensory input and then predicting what's about to happen. And then oh, our predictions are in, in alignment with what our senses perceive in the next 500 milliseconds. So my prediction machine is very happy until I step on wet concrete and then I'm super bummed out. That doesn't matter what culture you grew up in. That's just how people work. And magicians, mentalists, have been hacking that system for 10,000 years before written language started. So they we've we've got a, a real good head start on on anything else, which is why it's kind of my life's mission to share this stuff because there's such a treasure trove of understanding and personal alchemy to transform my life into what I envisioned. Like that's some powerful magic there. But it is so secret that most magicians don't appreciate or understand what they've got at their fingertips because the most people like the surface level. That was a fun trick. That was a fun experience. And then once you look at the method, the method could be so simple to be disappointing. And I thought the answer would have been more interesting in my perspective I would have expected something a lot more involved, a lot more clever, because I'm a genius. I didn't figure it out. Therefore, it has to be even more genius than I am. Not it's so simple that my genius overthought it, and that was my downfall. Okay. Then at the bottom level is, well, what makes that method work in the first place? that's when you start getting into that fundamental human operating system stuff. And, and to me, that's the most interesting part because it unlocks every business. It unlocks every single thing. I can talk to a website conversion rate optimization specialist just as well as I can an email campaign designer or a graphic designer or a salesperson or the hardcore negotiator. It doesn't matter because it's all just mind reading. I think you made a good point too. I, when you talk about, I'm um, sorry, Jack. Whenever, no, you're like, good. whenever you're, you're talking about, sometimes when you come up with the, the answer and the truth, you know, and we deal with that a lot. It's like, okay, that's it. 
And I'll go back and, and overthink it and say, you know what, there's, there's got to be more. And sometimes it just is what it is. And 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 the and everything's pointing to it. All the answers are there, kind of like with the trick with me. Like, no matter what I did, the truth is still there. You know, no matter what lens I'm carrying, what software I'm operating, it's all going to be there. And that's being able to identify it and accept it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Jack, what were you saying? I was just going to say, to me, it's fascinating. And Michael's right. The language is a little different, but I think what you do and what we do is very aligned. When you go into, you know, these big Fortune 500 companies and you're presenting this information, do you have some specific shortcuts or tools that you teach them to help them think that same way? Yeah. Yeah. Because one one of my biggest messages is that Anybody who says think outside the box doesn't know what they're talking about. That's one of my personal pet peeves, and it is a huge one. It's it's a monster peeve <laughs> because we human beings never exist outside of a context. We, at, at minimum, we're in base physical reality navigating three-dimensional space through time. Okay, cool. We're never escaping that, at least not in our lifetimes. So you're always within some framework of reference. That's a box. And within the framework of your own reference, of your own experiences, your beliefs and assumptions and decisions all make internal logical sense within your framework. Right. And what's terrifying is that your fundamental belief system dictates what your pre-conscious mind filters out about the world, which only leaves what you believe already. Mm -hmm. So then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy mm -hmm. every moment of every day. You're filtering out any information that doesn't line up with your belief system. And everywhere you look, there's reinforcement of how I see the world. And then you've got a lifetime to get good at your framework. And then you're so good at it that you forget that it's a framework and that other people could see it differently. Mm -hmm. So you're saying this is the way that the world is because you're blind to the exceptions to your beautiful rules. So my job is to help my clients crawl into bigger boxes of more possibility and to show them where they've got blinders to opportunity that's staring them in the face, but their beliefs won't allow them to see it. And I mean that in a very real, mm -hmm. literal sense, not mm -hmm. in a metaphorical, oh, opportunities everywhere. It right. maybe no, it is, it's right there but you're discounting yourself from being in the running for that job because of insert limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. Right. You so, know, I, when I talk to people, it. I tell them that they can't read the label from inside the bottle, which feels yep. like a very cliche way of um, in a very small way saying all that you just said, because you're right. People are so into their own tunnel. They can't see how everybody else sees it. And I think that's just a fascinating way to look at it. But it, so it's, well it's fractal and holographic, mm -hmm. like mirrors on mirrors, because in order to read the 
label of your bottle, you've got to climb into somebody else's bottle that envelops your bottle. But then that person can't read the label on their bottle. They need somebody else's bottle that's right. bigger. It's just bottles all the way up, all the way down, yeah. whichever way we're, you want to think about it. We just went down that hole, man. We're, we're in a whole other space now. My head's See? getting all there clouded with thoughts. <laughs> 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 we, you know, and, and we, we call that, it, it's something we've used a lot, a lot, but it's changing the conversation. It's kind of our, our mantra. Yep. And, and that's kind of what it is, is, you know, you, you, you're stuck in your, world and so is your audience sometimes and so is everybody around you and they all have these these perceptions and these systems that you're talking about and our job i think a lot of times is to change the conversation it's not necessarily think outside the box or or you know whatever come up with something new or different it's like how do we say it differently to where people can see it differently and then respond yep yep to me from the world of martial arts it's it's opening up options making the best decision within this dynamic situation that gives you the most options and presents reality with the fewest options to thwart your intent. And there are some decisions that will reduce your options to zero and all you have left to do is die. That's a bad decision. The decision that opens <laughs> up your pathways is, is a better one than others. Very deep. Very deep. But so, I mean, as a salesperson, I completely see it. Um, and so the whole time you're talking, I'm listening to what you're saying and thinking, oh, I see how I could do my job better. Um, and I think what people discount is we're all salespeople. We're all selling something all the time. And I, I don't think we always realize how important it is to leave um, the safety of our own beliefs and instead kind of branch out a little bit to see through other people's perspectives. And I think that's a lot of what the, the shift has come from in the past few years of people all of a sudden realizing, oh, wait, everybody doesn't live exactly the way I live. Everybody doesn't have the same feelings and experiences like I do. Oh, there are 350 million people in this country and every one of them has a different life than me. And right. I, I feel like that gets missed so often. Yeah, yeah. And I 1000% agree with you that everybody is a salesperson if only to yourself, mm -hmm. you're selling yourself on your problems and situation and all that stuff. So you're you're always selling all the time. ABS, always be selling. Right. And then from the changing your perspective to help, that's that's a huge shift from being a good salesperson to an excellent salesperson, which is the good salesperson is focused on I gotta close my deal. Mm -hmm. The excellent salesperson is I have to help this person. Mm -hmm. Am I the best solution? If so, then I'm going to give it everything. If I'm not, I'm still going to get give it everything to get them the answer that they need, even if it's not working with me. Right. And that was echoed in my career when I was doing more of the mind reading show. When I was younger, it was the feed Jonathan's ego experience. <laughs> Look how amazing I am. Look what I can do. Look at how much I can accomplish. Look what I just did. Isn't that amazing? And you get fans that way. You get people that appreciate it. It's like, wow, he can do something that I can't meet. However, I started getting booked more for bigger opportunities when I completely changed everything about how I thought about my job as a mind reader. And when I changed my mind from being it's the Jonathan's ego show to 
how can I be a facilitator for amazing experiences for my audience? Mm -hmm. How can I put my skills to use to make my audience be the star of the show? At a meta level, everybody intuits that, yes, Jonathan is making everything happen, so we get it. But wasn't that nice that he made Eric the star of the show, that Sally got to be the person in the limelight? And being that gracious host, that curator, that facilitator of empowering others, suddenly my life got so much better. I started making so much more money. I started working with much bigger clients because I made it my life's mission to empower others to do things that they thought was impossible. And that's more impressive than... Yeah, it makes sense. Jonathan's got the gift. He's spent a whole lifetime learning how to do this. So, of course, he should be able to do this. But wait a minute. That guy clearly didn't know how to do that thing. And in two minutes, he was doing the thing that Jonathan said he could do when all of us knew it was impossible. Okay, now that's impressive. Right. Right. So that that's the shift from I'm amazing to I'm incredible at helping you be amazing. You know, as you're explaining that, it really sums up for me what I believe about good messaging and good copywriting. And so whether you're talking about getting people to come to a show or getting booked um, to do corporate training, at the end of the day, to me, there's bad copywriting and there's good copywriting. Bad copywriting, here's my product, here's what it does, here's what's so good about it, let me keep talking about me. Good copywriting, here's your problem, here's the benefit of solving it, Here's why what you've tried has failed. And by the way, here's something that'll help you solve the problem. So it's all about you. And when you make it about them, that's the best part. When you make it about yourself, that's not going to resonate with anybody. Exactly. Wait a minute. You have to read their minds and understand what they want out of life. How valuable valuable would that be? (laughs) That is awesome. We try to deal with that with like, you know, the use of psychographics to the best of our ability. We're not a a research firm, but we take the time usually to our first part of our process is getting to know the audience, finding out who they are and getting to know their perceptions and and what are their wants and needs. And it's no longer just a female that's 30 to, to 45 years old. It's it's Janet and she lives here and she likes to barbecue on weekends and she loves her kids and all that stuff helps to influence that messaging. So how do we again find out what the problem is, find out how to solve it and find out how we can make their life better through our clients and, and their needs. Yep, that's great because you're right. The avatars are useful to an extent. However, they fall short when you focus on the innate characteristics. They are this age. They like to wear purple. Those kinds of things don't help as much as what problems are they dealing with and what tools, what jobs do they want to get done for their situation and then that that really unlocks a lot. I'm curious, um, what what are the trigger, the warning signs for you when you walk in a room with somebody and you start to talk about your philosophies and what you're trying to do, and you just know that they're never going to buy in? Like, when do you say, you know, no matter what happens, like, all right, this never, this guy's going to fight me on everything, or a girl's going to fight me on everything because they're just not buying in. Yeah, it, you you said it, fighting you on everything. Uh, not being open to conversation. There is a dirty trick that my high school debate teacher used. Oh, on wait, us. hold on, hold on, hold on. You, uh, I'm sorry. You, as, as a brethren in the room, Jackie, you know, 
Jonathan and I know we're cool because we were high school debaters. We don't need you to show how inferior you feel about the lack of important life training you had. Um, now, he hasn't admitted to also being a college debater like I was. But, you know, I recognize like minded the way he does his work has to have had a little bit of time in an impromptu or extemporaneous room delivering some off-the-cuff um, speeches. I get it. I, Look, I, I recognized a brother immediately. Absolutely. I, I respect the power, and it's hard being married and having a business partner that is a speech debate person and um, that can champion. crush you. The word much. you're looking for is speech and debate champion, Michael. Yes, not person. I know, I know. But yeah. I'm sure you both had little briefcases running through the halls. Your suits oh, yeah. on in the middle of the day. Oxbox, oh, actually. Yeah. Oxbox mm -hmm. filled with files. Yeah, I, I think mostly in pictures and images and it used to take me at least a week to figure out how to say it in words and i thought this isn't going to be useful in life <laughs> i'm going to need to be able to explain myself so i need to go put myself in really difficult situations where's that okay debate so i was a member of the national forensics league and i specialized in Lincoln Douglas debate. That was my absolute favorite. It was all about would or should, should we do this? Should we not do that instead of policy, which is how do we accomplish this thing we've already decided on? I love talking about should we based on what criterion, what right. definitions are you using? Right. And it's, it's always fun to bake people's noodle. Like in high school, I understood the, post-modernist, nothing means anything, it's all contextual, there is no universal, because the debate is about what the debate is about. And when you win the debate about what we're debating about, the rest of the debate is already won. We're just arguing about who, who looks best now, right? right. So, yeah. But Quick the, question, the, just yeah. for a point of clarification, Jonathan, um, do you find having been an LD debater and switching sides because, you know, we have to start on one side, we debate on, the positive. For, for our listeners, yep. LD is Lincoln and Douglas. Lincoln Douglas. That's he right. Said it that's, already. How the cool, uh, that's how the cool kids say it. That's how the cool kids do it. We can also flip our pens. <laughs> we know. Um, so look, look at him flip his pen. It's, <laughs> it's something I still do every day, all day. I, the, I can't not do it. Yeah. yeah, you can recognize a debater <laughs> in an airport because they're sitting there absentmindedly, not even realizing it, flipping their pens. Yeah. Um, so did you find <laughs> that um, representing one side, you know, in an 8 a.m. Um, debate, so you're positive and then an hour later you're negative and flip flopping. Does it, it somehow come into your life now where you're like, I can really go either way on this topic. I see both sides perfectly clearly and whatever side you pick, I can debate the other right now. Yes, and it, it has made me an infuriating person to be in the same room with because my teacher was phenomenal at not broadcasting his own opinions. Mm -hmm. He's a phenomenal debater, incredible communicator. So it was about three years in that we realized I don't know a thing that he really believes. Mm -hmm. So I'm extraordinarily good at asking questions to understand your position without giving away any of my position, which naturally leads people to assume I'm on the opposite side of them. Mm -hmm. When really what I'm doing is testing your understanding of the situation. And one of the, the 
least popular things I say is that I'm not disagreeing because I don't understand. I'm disagreeing because I understand your position better than you do. <laughs> oh my god! I'll be trying that one tonight at home. I love that. Yeah, Jonathan, it, it you, is. You, you, you became a favorite guest, and you're at worse now. She's gonna be quoting <laughs> you for a week. Exactly. So, so I'm really good at looking like an absolute idiot because I'm like, so what? So what about this? And I can embody. I can adopt entire life systems, entire belief systems, and then operate within that context as a second skin so comfortably that 99% of other people go, Oh, that's what he believes. When really I'm playing the Socratic method of let me explore your conviction. Let me explore how well you've thought through this. Let me kind of poke and prod your, how devoted you are to this thing. And it's, it's all mental jousting and fencing and it's a lot of fun it is so much fun and most unless you're on the other side unless you're yeah. on the other side yeah unless unless you are used to it it feels like a personal attack it it feels like you're you're being made fun of and it's it's not that at all it's more of this is an inquiry into your thinking and it's not my problem that you haven't thought through this enough killing me you're killing me here this is <laughs> i agree with you and i understand it but you're just validating so much right now and yeah and, and that's what but i have i haven't talked about this angle ever right so thank you jackie for opening up this can of worms uh but it's it's a <laughs> thing sure mrs that jonathan I've, is real happy yeah it, it is a thing i've really had to dial back because i know this is a great way to make enemies with people i like and mm -hmm. And then just kind of taking a longer time horizon of having a conversation over the course of years instead of an hour. And, and to your point, Jackie, of being able to debate the affirmative and the negative at the same time. And at 8 a.m. you're affirmative and then at 845 you're negative. Yep. Like, yeah, I oh, dude, I can't I can't remember the dude's name. Uh, old the old philosopher guy who was saying, if you only know your half of the argument, you, you don't know it. Right. And I, I developed the, the just tick of, I don't know enough about this subject to have an opinion. Like how refreshing is that? Right. And the other part of it was that uh, Mr. Yetzi is his name. Oh, Bob Yetzi. Love that man. He, he would sometimes go, all right, raise your hand if you're willing to change your mind about this topic. And then nobody would raise their hand and you'd go, all right, cool, next topic. But wait, I, we wanted to have a debate. He's like, well, it's not worth it because none of you are willing to change your mind about it. So I'm not going to waste my time. So to your question, Michael, of, all right, when there's somebody who's combative, who's fighting you, what do you do? I disengage. I just go, nope, you're not my tribe. I'm not in the business of changing minds. I'm in the business of finding other winners and helping them win faster. That's what I want. So sometimes if I engage in dialectic with somebody, favorite place to do that is on Twitter. 
because it's hilarious to keep retweeting somebody like quote tweet them and then dismantle them. But you're never talking to them. You're just presenting this poor argument to your audience and then helping your audience understand my perspective. Cool. But it's infuriating to the person who's getting quote tweeted. It's like, fight me. I'm like, I don't need to. I'm going to talk to these guys. <laughs> well, that, that goes back to, you know, you have 10 people in the room. You can't convince everyone, but you may be able to get two. So where are you going to put your attention and your, and your money? Are you going to go with 10? Or are you going to focus on the two that you can actually change their minds? Exactly. And engaging with the eight isn't to change the mind of the eight, but to help those two understand the full consequence of that other way of thinking. So sometimes mm -hmm. you're engaging with ideas you don't agree with, not to change the mind of the person you disagree with, but to signal to your group of, okay, you're going to run into these arguments and let me show you a way of handling these arguments and to show you why they don't stand up to scrutiny. Right. So the, the eight believe that they're having an argument with you and what you're doing is using them as a dramatic foil in a meta conversation with the two that is not explicit or stated outright. That's that to me is I love it. That is so much fun, which is why I, I love debating and and it's just hilarious. Like I hate commies. I hate people that are socialists. I think they're fundamentally horrific people and just a pox upon the world and you're never going to convince me otherwise because at its root it's the use of violence to coerce other people to do what you say is best that to me is fundamental evil and i will argue with the socialist all day long solely as a dramatic foil to people to advocate for coercion free relationships and consent based relationships so that's that's one of my favorite hobbies is to champion freedom of association, freedom from coercion, two way consent only relationships. If I can't say no to you, that's coercion. So if I say yes, but I can't say no, that's not really a yes. That's a yes under duress. And there are a lot of situations where that comes up, like if you say. I'm only for consensual relationships. People go, absolutely. Yeah, consent only. That's the only way about it. And you go, okay, I don't consent to taxes. Well, oh, Jonathan, uh, that's the price you pay for living in a civilized society. Civilized. Oh, okay. So if I don't give you what I created in the world, you're going to send people with guns to take it from me. Well, I mean, uh, that no, we we have to have it's been there through the all of human history. Yep. We've had rape through all of human history. We've had theft through all of human history. And that's what makes it OK. So people will say one thing, but their belief system is completely opposite to their stated beliefs. So the only thing that you can trust is what they do, which goes back to martial arts I'm not going to listen to what you attack me with. I'm going to look at what you're attacking me with and dealing with what you're doing will keep me safe. I don't care what you say. So when people say something 
you test it, you probe it, and you find most of the time that people love using violence or the tyranny of the majority to coerce the minority into their alignment with what they believe is right. That that to me is fundamentally evil, which is why to me, bringing it all the way back, business is the most ethical way to make the world a better place because it's a sustainable effort that rewards everybody that engages with it. And it's voluntary. If they want to hire you, great. If they don't want to hire you, great. You're not going to steal their dollars from you. But if they willingly exchange their dollars, you provide the service, makes their business better, your business is better, and everybody's better off, which is why I got into corporate consulting, because how can I help the most people the fastest? The bigger the company I can help make a bigger impact, the better off the employees are, the better off the CEO is, the better off every one of their clients are, better off all of those people's families are. So to me, business is the only ethical way of making the world better at scale, aside from voluntary personal donations or or help. Well said. So much so. Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for making the time for us today. This was so insightful and interesting. Uh, anytime I can hang out with a fellow speech and debater, I'm all about it. That's it. And I did do college debate. Did you? Okay, uh, good. So it was it was parliamentary debate. Awesome. And yep. Yeah, that was that was a, a load of fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Me too. Me too. Um, I, I kept looking to see if there was a secret sign or something you were, you were giving each other or something like two hey, minutes remain no. part of the club. That, that's the that's the secret <laughs> signal. <laughs> One minute cross X. So um, just on a side note, and I, I know we're wrapping up, but you'll appreciate this so much. Um, my uh, a member of my team, we didn't debate together, uh, but she was on the team at the same time I was. And then we were later roommates, uh, passed away a few years ago. Um, the priest giving the homily was on our team as well. And there were five or six of us all kind of sitting together three or four rows back uh, during the funeral. And um, in speaking to uh, Bryce before he started the homily, we were talking kind of outside, just, you know, sad and sudden in her family and whatever. And he said, uh, I have I have um, um, blocked out, you know, I've got my three points. I'm going to walk on point three. Like he was, we were just joking, whatever. Right. That's great. So we sit down and I realize the four debaters sitting next to me. Um, are now giving him they've made time cards and they're giving him time signals during the debate and counting him down um, during his homily, like oh, as if it great. was a debate. Oh, oh that's yeah. great. Yeah, it was it, it was hysterically oh, inappropriate and awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and Michael, the other secret signal is when you're having a really intense, heated, emotional argument with your your spouse and then they get a piece of paper and a pen and take notes as you're talking. That's another really good indicator. You're you're with a debater. Yeah. We're flowing the fight and you're about to lose. That's it. Yeah, it's been 20 plus years and I'm still struggling with that. I mean, you know, you get in the middle of it. You talk about earlier, you know, and I can see the wheels working in our head and I am desperately trying to stay in the fight. And and at some point I just get loud. That's the only solution I have. So I, I, I can be louder than you. And that's it. Yeah. That, that I go into into um, emotion over any kind of structure. Yeah, the the bummer is you don't remember the agreement you made that that framed you out of the out of the argument. That's yeah. that's it. You've always won farther upstream than you remember, and it just is playing out, and you haven't realized it yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, 
Exactly. Um, so as we wrap up, where can people go to find out more, book you to come and read their minds and teach them how to read the minds of others? Well, the the best corporate place to go is my company's website, Zavant Enterprises. That's my holding company that also owns ROI trade shows, which I help companies at trade shows and do all the trainings and stuff. Zavant Enterprises is hard to spell, hard to remember. So the hub that I invite everybody to go to is ICanReadMinds.com. From there, you can sign up for my email list. I send emails almost every single day. And it's stories from the road, insights, mind reading, demonstrations. You can use at cocktail parties to impress your friends. Anything I'm thinking of, I share it there. So be ready for that. And then you can you can email me from there. Find me on Twitter where I'm using people as dramatic foils all the time. Uh, so, yeah, I just I love getting connected with folks. So please, if this was halfway interesting to you, please, please come find me. And uh, when you sign up, you also get a uh, a fun memory demonstration that seems impossible before you go through it. And then you can do something that you knew 10 minutes ago was impossible and you're doing it. So that's, that's one of my favorite gifts to give people. That is awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time and knowledge and uh, willingness to share. It was great to meet you. And uh, we look forward to chatting again. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. It, it has been a true delight to get to dig into things I don't normally get to talk about. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.